Hi folks, we want to welcome you to our adult Sunday school time. And we are continuing along in our, basically our survey of the Old Testament. We're in that section of books that I'm entitling the return to the land, which is basically looking at Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther. And we're actually getting close to the end of this section of our survey because we're looking at today's lesson in Esther, which we're going to call the downfall of Haman. So we're in lesson 10, and we've got one more lesson after this week, and we'll conclude uh, the book. So let me just kind of remind you of where we're at in the book of Esther. If you remember, the first couple of chapters were focused on the rise of Esther to become basically queen of Persia, and then we saw last week in chapters 3 and 4 the rise of Haman, the Agagite, which probably is an Amalekite, and his really anger towards Mordecai, because Mordecai won't bow down to him. And out of that anger, he has instituted a law with the permission of the king, signed in the law of the Mede and Persians, to basically set a date, to eliminate all Jews in the empire. Now, last week we saw where Mordecai was mourning and he sent, he sent messages through a eunuch to Esther that she needed to do something. She then pointed out that she can't, but he said, you know what, if you don't, somebody else will and you'll still die. She then determines, yes, okay, I'll do this. She calls the Jews in Susha to pray for three days. So that brings us to Esther chapter 5, where we're at today, verse 1, and we're going to go really quickly through 5, 6, and 7, and we're going to talk about the downfall of Haman today. So let's begin. We're going to talk about the throne room, and we're going to focus in on Esther chapter 5, verses 1 to 5. So, okay, so on the third day, the text tells us, Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the palace. Okay, so on the third day, so this would be after the Jews in the area and her, she and her handmaid servants have been fasting for three days. She puts on her royal robes and she goes into the inner court of the king's palace. Now the king sat on his royal throne in the royal house facing the entrance. So basically, he's in the throne room. He's sitting on his royal throne. He's looking out and he sees the entrance, which is, of course, opening up out into the inner court of the palace. So obviously, he's going to see Esther, who has come uninvited. Now, remember, Esther pointed to this out last week when we looked at this lesson. She pointed out that in chapter 3, that those who, are, who appear uninvited, the sentence is death unless the king holds out his golden scepter. Otherwise, they are killed because they were uninvited into the king's presence. So when the king saw Esther standing in the court, she found favor in his eyes. So the text is telling you, so he looks out into court, there's Esther in her royal robes, and he immediately, she has found favor with him. He is inclined towards her. 
okay? So what does he do? The king held out his golden scepter to Esther, okay? And she obviously comes and touches the top of it. So that allows her to be in his presence, okay? So he's wanting to know why is she there? Because let's be honest. The whole aspect of royalty and throne rooms and laws and especially in the Medo-Persian Empire, you're not going to just circumvent those traditions and laws, especially in the Medo-Persian Empire, for no reason at all. This isn't just, hey, I was wanting to see you, sweetie, and I thought I would stop by your workplace. This is not that kind of thing. So obviously King Xerxes I knows that there's a reason why she has come. She's obviously wanting something for her to do, let's kind of say it as it is, this drastic measure of appearing uninvited. So the king asked her for her request and stated that he would give half the kingdom to fulfill it. Now, would he literally give up half the kingdom? Well, it's, it's kind of a it's kind of a, a, a you've, he's kind of saying something to kind of point out, I'll do anything you ask me to do, up to half the kingdom. It's kind of pointing, it's kind of a grand statement to make the point, I'll give you what you're requesting, okay? Now, here's what she requests. Esther invited the king to bring Haman to a banquet that she had prepared for them. So she's inviting them to a banquet. Now, let me just stop for a moment. You might be thinking, wow, she's inviting them to a feast. wonder what kind of food she's going to serve. Well, when we look at the text a little bit later, it's actually a banquet of wine. A banquet of wine. So there would be some sort of tradition with regards to that, but the center aspect of it is the serving of wine, sharing wine together. So the king called for Haman, and they went to the banquet that Esther had prepared. All right, so let's get everything into focus here as far as timeline. Okay, so it's three days after she asks for prayer and fasting, after she had called for the Jews in the area to fast and pray. She appears before the court, She's obviously already prepared for a banquet because she's got to be ready for him to come when she asks. The king says, hey, I'll give you half of the kingdom. Tell me what you want. She says, hey, you bring Haman. I've prepared a banquet for you. I'm inviting you to my banquet. So guess what the king does? The king says, okay, let's get Haman, Haman. And they get Haman and they go to the banquet that she has prepared. It's already ready for them, Okay. So they head out, they boogie on over to uh, the queen's quarters to, for this banquet. Now at the banquet, the king once again asked Esther what her petition was. So, okay, all right. The king is basically saying, okay, now please tell me what is it that you want? I'll give you half the kingdom. He's making that statement again, up to a half a kingdom for to fulfill your petition. Now here's what she does. And it kind of blows our minds because you would think, seriously, I would just go right and address the issue. But here's what she does. 
the, Esther requested that they attend a second banquet where she will make her request known. Now, you're like, I mean, if I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, what? You're going to have, you're going to wait another day or a period of time and then you're going to make, why didn't she just come right out? He's ready to do whatever. Just come right out. It's a cultural thing. And in that culture, there is the whole issue of paying homage, of giving respect, and of not addressing what you want directly. And she is acting in accordance with the cultural customs of the people that she lives among. And it was pretty much true for those who lived in most of the ancient Near East in the Middle East there. So she's saying, look, okay, my request is that you come to a banquet tomorrow and then I'll tell you what I really want. So leaving the banquet joyful, Haman became indignant when he saw Mordecai not honoring him. So when you look at verses 9 through 14 of chapter 15, you're going to see that Haman is making a decision about Mordecai. Why? Well, we just see here, he's, he's all excited. I got to be in this banquet with the king and with the queen. And he's going back and he walks through probably the area of the king's gate. And he sees Mordecai and Mordecai will not honor him. He will not bow down. He will not pay homage. So he's very indignant. He's very angry. I mean, it robs him of his joy. Okay? It's robbing him of his joy. So, so restraining himself, Haman went home and called his family and friends to join him. So he makes his way home. Hey, wife, hey, kids, gather the friends together. I've got something I want to share with you. So that's what they're doing here. So Haman expounded on the honor from the king and the invitation to the banquet by the queen. So he's saying, look, man, it's been an exciting day. The king has honored me. The king has done well by me. And not only that, I've gotten an invitation to this banquet from the queen. And, and he's really excited about that aspect. However, he's going to point out here, look at what he says. Haman states that this means nothing to him as long as he sees Mordecai sitting in the king's gate. So as long as, you know what, all this is great, but you know what, it means nothing as long as I see my enemy sitting in the king's gate, the one who will not honor me, the one who will not give me the respect that I'm due. All this stuff from the king, all this stuff as far as being invited by the queen all of it means nothing if long as I see Mordecai sitting in the gate. That's what he's saying here. So here's what the family and friends say to him. His wife and friends suggested that he build a gallows and ask the king to hang Mordecai on it. 
So to build a gallows, now let me just stop for a moment because immediately when we think about the issue of the gallows, we are thinking in terms of like a gallows that was built in the 17 and 1800s and even the early 20th century here, a platform with a beam going across, a rope hanging down, and of course an opening would open up beneath the victim and the person would be hanged. That's what we think of with regards to a gallows. That is not what they mean by gallows in the Medo-Persian Empire. What they mean by a gallows in the Medo-Persian Empire is a large pole, a single pole from which the victim would be hung. He would either be hung by a rope or he would be impaled. Are you ready for this? Impaled on the pole and his body would just be basically there for everyone to see as an example of what happens to someone when they do wrong. So Haman's wife and friends are saying, you know what, just build a gallows, get rid of this guy, go to the king, get permission to hang Mordecai on it in the morning. Now, in Persia, again, as I said, gallows were a pole that a victim would be hung on or impaled on. All right, now, once Mordecai is hung on the gallows, they said, in the morning, Haman can then attend the banquet with joy. They're basically saying, you know what, you get rid of him, you get rid of him, and everything will be okay. You won't be distracted from enjoying this moment by going to the queen and being a part of this banquet with the king. Because this pressure, this thing that irritates you, this anger thing that you've got going on, will no longer be an issue. So guess what Mordecai says? Mordecai, excuse me, what Haman says. Haman was pleased with the advice and made arrangements for the building of the gallows. So, okay, get this. This is in the evening or late afternoon. So he's going to have people working through the night to build this pole to hang Mordecai on because he's making the arrangements, which also means he's got to go get permission that night. And so that brings us to the end of chapter 5. So now we're going to come to chapter 6, verses 1 to 14, and we're going to see, are you ready for this, Mordecai honored. Now, you say, well, wait a minute, George, I was just reading in 5 that the last thing you find out, they're building these gallows, Haman's going to the king, and he's going to move the king to give him permission to hang Mordecai on this pole. Now you're telling me that Chapter 6 is about Mordecai being honored. What in the world's going on here? Well, let's take a look, all right? So when you get to chapter 6, it shifts from Haman with his family. The writer shifts it now to the king who's in his palace, and he can't sleep. So that evening, the king was having trouble sleeping, so one had to read the book of records to him. All right, now, now, this is amazing when you see this. Okay, so 
you ever, you ever hear when somebody says, oh, I'm having problems sleeping, what do I do? Well, count sheep. You ever heard that one, count sheep? You know, you're sitting there counting sheep, counting sheep. All right, now, here's what they did, obviously, in the palace, is you bore them to death. How? So you go get one of the scribes, one of the people who can read, and they break out the chronicles. Okay, king, let me read to you from the daily records, which would be very boring, and it would be so boring that the king would then fall asleep. This is what's going on here, okay? So picture this. He can't sleep. They get a guy to come in, a scribe to come in, to read the records. Well, it was found in the records that Mordecai exposed a plot to kill Xerxes I. Remember we talked about that all the way at the end of the last few verses of chapter 2 where Mordecai learned of the plot of the eunuchs who were upset with Xerxes I and they wanted to lay hold of him, they wanted to grab him, they wanted to kill him, and Mordecai did what? He went and told Esther and Esther revealed to the king through the, that from Mordecai she had learned of this plot. It was investigated. Those eunuchs were then executed. And so here it is. It's in the records because the text tells us in chapter 2 that it was recorded in the records. So guess what? Here we are on the night with Haman wanting to come and get permission to kill him. King can't sleep. Records are read. Guess which record's being read? The text tells you the record of this plot being exposed by Mordecai. So here's what happens. The king questioned what honor had been bestowed on Mordecai as a reward. Okay, so he's listening to the record, and obviously he's realizing, ah, something's missing here. What did we do for this guy? How did we reward him? What honor was given to him? Because obviously this is something he did good because he basically saved my life is what the king's saying. How did we honor this guy? Well, the servants reported to the king that no honor was given to Mordecai. So basically somehow Mordecai got overlooked in the whole thing. They dealt with the two eunuchs. They executed them. But we never honored him. So now the king, he, he, he decides we've got to do something. So what happens? The king asked who was in the court, and he was informed that Haman had entered the palace. So the king says, we've got to do something. He's basically wanting to honor this one who saved his life because we haven't honored him, we haven't rewarded him. And he's like, who's in the court? What prince is in the court? Well, the servants say, Haman you know, who's the chief guy, the head of all the princes, he just entered the palace. Now, you and I know why Haman is entering the palace, right? We know that he's entering the palace because he doesn't want to honor Mordecai. He wants to have Mordecai killed. So they go get Mordecai. So Haman had to come to the king in order to... Haman had come to the king in order to request Mordecai's execution on the gallows. So we already know that. As Haman came in, the king asked what should be done for the one the king wants to honor. So the king says, okay, all right, listen to me. 
All right, Haman, glad you're here. Look, I want to honor someone who is worthy of honor. High honor. I want, to, I want to be a blessing to him. What should we do to honor such a one? So he's asking Haman this question. Now notice, he's not telling Haman who it is yet. He's just saying, I want to honor someone. Now what happens next kind of reveals to you where Haman's at. All right? Kind of reveals to you what's going on with this guy. All right? So listen, Haman assumed that the king was speaking of him since who else could there be? So Haman is thinking, whoa, okay, so obviously the king wants to honor me. Obvi who else would be there? Who, I mean, I'm the best. I I'm the guy who's awesome. And who else would it be? The king obviously has talked, thinking about me, so I'm going to tell him how to honor me. Think about the arrogance of this. This is where this guy's at. So here's what he does. Haman suggested that the man be honored with a royal robe that the king had worn and, a, and ride on the king's horse. So that would be a real special treat because nobody would be able to wear a robe from the king. I mean, that's the king's robes. You don't touch his stuff. And nobody would be able to ride on the king's horse except the king. And so you allow this one that you want to honor to ride on your horse. Now, remember, let's stop for a moment. Let's go back to when we talked about back in 1 Kings when Samuel is, excuse me, when Solomon is made king by David. David instructs that Solomon be honored and that he would be ride on one of the king's donkeys on his mule through so that everyone would know that's the king's mule and Solomon is riding on it. So this is an honor because the only one who would ride on this mount would be the king. So this is a special thing that Haman is suggesting. He also suggested that a most noble prince carry out the instructions. So it's not just that this guy would be wearing the king's robe and riding on the king's horse. He would also be led through the city by one of the most noble princes that they have there. The prince then is to then take the man, parade him through the city, and make a proclamation. Okay? So... This prince is not just to make sure he's on the horse, make sure he's wearing the robe. He's to what then? He's to take this guy and parade him through the city and make a proclamation as he's going. What kind of proclamation? Well, the prince is to proclaim that this is done to the man whom the king wants to honor. And he was supposed to say that throughout the whole journey through the city with this one that is being honored. Wow, that is an awesome thing. And listen, you got to remember now, Haman is telling them this because he thinks that he's the one who's going to be honored. He can't fathom in his mind that the king would want to honor anyone else but him. All right, you ready for this? Here's what happens. The king then told Haman to do all that he suggested for Mordecai the Jew. Whoa! 
man, would you not want to be a fly on the wall? Literally, I mean, seriously. And see the expression of shock on Haman's face. Why? Because Haman was there that evening to approach the king about killing Mordecai, executing him. And now the king wants to honor him. And guess who is being asked to be the vehicle of bringing the honor? Mordecai. But I mean, think about the poetic justice of this. What the king is having him do in honoring Mordecai is everything that Haman had suggested. This is the amazing thing. So guess what happens? Taking the robe and the horse, Haman arrayed Mordecai and paraded him through the city. So he had to do it. There's no option here. There's no delegating this. He had to do what he suggested because the king's going to want to know, did this happen or not? So Haman's the one parading his enemy through the city on the royal horse with this robe on, say, robe on and saying, this is what happens to the one whom the king wants to honor. This is completely amazing. So what happens now? After fulfilling the king's command, Haman went home with his head covered and mourning. Now again, the covering of the head would be an issue of shame. So he's going home in shame and he's mourning. Okay? So he goes home, he's mourning. Here's what happens. Haman told his wife and friends everything that happened. So he gets home. They're still there because remember, they're the ones who said, hey, Build a gallows. Have your enemy executed. Go get permission. So he leaves. He's going to get, they're waiting for him to come back and say, yes, the king's going to do it tomorrow at 6 a.m. It's over. Yeah, but that's not what happened. So Haman tells him, look, man, this is what happened. And here's what is amazing. They told Haman, that if Mordecai was of Jewish descent, he will not prevail. Whoa. Like you didn't know that before. But now they're telling Haman, you're not going to win this one, buddy. If he's of Jewish descent, you're not going to win this one. You're not going to win this one at all. They told him that he will surely fall before Mordecai. Basically, they're saying, you're done, you're toast, it's over. If he's of Jewish descent, you're not going to have victory. So, it's over, buddy. Now, as soon as they're telling him that, as soon as Haman was speaking with them, the king's eunuch, came for him to attend the banquet. So obviously this is through the night, in the morning. At some point, they're talking with him. They're telling him it's over. The king's eunuchs show up and say, oh, got to go, got a banquet to go to. And that brings us to the end of chapter 6. Now we get into chapter 7, and... We're going to look at the second banquet. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. This goes really quick. What do you mean? There's only 10 verses here. 
And you can divide these 10 verses into two sections. So at the banquet, the king once again asked Esther what her petition was. So again, so this is the third time now the king is asking, okay, what do you want? All right, I understand. All right, yes, this is the second banquet. We're here. Tell me what you want. Now's her opportunity. Esther requested that her life be given to her and to her people. So here's what she's saying. She's saying, oh, king, I ask that my life would be spared. I ask that the people that I am from would be spared. Now remember, up to this point, nobody knows the ancestry or the family of Esther. Remember, Mordecai had told her when she was taken not to reveal her family, that she is from Mordecai's family, and her people group, meaning that she's a Jew, she is not to reveal that. So up until this point, she has not revealed anything to them about who she is. So now she is requesting that her life be given to her and for her people. She pointed out that, that she and her people have been sold to be annihilated. She's basically saying, O king, myself and my people group have been sold to the point that we are to be annihilated. Now, that, that's probably a shocking thing for the king to hear. Like, who is after my queen? And of course, the king wanted to know who the man was who would dare to presume such an act in his heart. Now, here's the interesting thing. When you see this, you're realizing how serious this is. So before, this was just a personal vendetta that Mordecai was having, excuse me, that Haman was having with Mordecai. And as a result, Mordecai wanted to, excuse me, Haman wanted to just eliminate the Jews. He had no clue that he was think they were talking about Queen Esther. Nobody, that's not. So now the reality is, is in the law of the Median Persians that the Jews, all of the Jews are to be killed in the empire. And that includes, guess who? Queen Esther. So the king wants to know, what, now who would presume to have something like this in their heart? Who, who would dare to think of this? Well, you and I would say, well, you know, come on, king. <laughs> you know who it is. You're the one who gave him permission. All right, well, it's got to be Esther. It's got to be the one to tell him. So Esther identified the man as Haman, who quickly became terrified in their presence. <laughs> you better believe it, he's scared. So it's that wicked Haman, the text says, and he's realizing, oh, no, I'm done. I'm toast. I'm over. So then that brings us to the next final section here, chapter 7. So the king went into the palace garden angry, and Haman pleaded with Esther for his life. So the king is irritated, and he walks out into the garden. Now, why would he do that? Why would he leave Haman with her? Probably, I'm thinking, Dex doesn't say this, we can only assume, I'm thinking he's going out to get some guards, to get some eunuchs, because we got to deal with this Haman. 
So while the king is out doing his business, whatever it may be, Haman is pleading with Esther for his life. Of course he would be. He would be pleading with Esther for his life. So Haman understood that evil was determined against him by the king. Haman is no dummy here, folks, because first of all, he's the kind of guy who thinks of these kind of things anyhow. He's realizing the king's going to have me killed. I'm done. I need the queen to plead for me. Well, when the king returned, Haman had fallen across the couch where Esther was seated. Boy, that's a big no-no. Do you remember, no male was allowed in the harem. No, there, so there was to be no contact with the queen except by the king. Now, it was an honor to be invited into her presence, but to be anywhere near her would be an offense. And so when a king returns, there's Haman I don't know, it doesn't tell you how it happens. He'd fallen across the couch, probably begging where Esther was seated. So here's what happens. The king questioned whether Haman would assault the queen while he's in the house. He's like, would this man dare assault my queen while I'm even in the house? I mean, he's like offended and angry. And so it goes quickly. What do you mean? Well, they covered Haman's face as he was then hung on the gallows that he made. So here's what they did. When somebody was pronounced judgment on, of course, remember, no negative thing could happen, no mourning or whatever could happen in the king's presence. They immediately cover his face. They put a hood on his face, whatever. They cover his face. They get him out of there. One of the eunuchs says to the king, hey, King, there's this gallows that Haman had built to execute Mordecai on. Remember Mordecai, the one you were honoring for saving your life? Haman wanted to kill him. Let's hang him on that. King says, do it. And they hang him. They either hang him or impale him. It's death instance. He's done. And the king, it says in the text, his wrath subsided when Haman was killed. And that brings us to the end of chapter 7. Now, you would say, wow, that's it. We're done. We're done with this story, George. We're done with this narrative. Actually, we're not. We still have three more chapters. You mean three more chapters? Chapter 8, 9, 10? What's going on there? Well, remember, Mordecai had permission from the king to eliminate the Jews and plunder their possessions on a certain day, and it was written in the law of the Mede and Persians. Which, remember, we've already knew this when we studied Daniel. You can't change the law of the Mede and Persians. It's in concrete now. So how do we deal with this situation? Because the judgment day is coming for the Jews in the empire. And that's what we're going to talk about next week when we get into Lesson 11.